This is a Soulfire production. Yo, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Politically Homeless. We're here today doing the thing, trying to figure it out. It's a fucking nightmare. It's a shit show. I'm stressed out. I've lost my mind. It, it, my brain is goo. It is. Maybe I'm not working hard enough. Apparently, Kim Kardashian thinks that bitches out there don't want to work these days. She let everybody know that, which, coming from where she's coming from, I would imagine that if somebody asked her about like being successful or money, she'd be like, well... I had uh, a lot of advantages, and maybe I'm not a great representation of what it's like to be self-made, but narcissism doesn't really work that way, so maybe I should take her words to heart. Maybe I should, but I feel like I've spent probably 20 or 30 hours just like trying to figure out what the fuck is going on, because when you don't accept mainstream narratives, right? Because my 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 trust in institutions had already eroded substantially pre-COVID, but now it they don't exist. Right, I don't, I don't. The powerful institutions have very little sway on me. I have, I don't think I've consumed a second of corporate media on the Ukraine, Russia situation. Not one. Uh, which has made it really hard. Which has made it really difficult because when you choose to like get off the you know well worn path of propaganda that we all walk down, when you decide to get off of that, you're having to kind of blaze your own trail and or hopefully stumble upon another one that makes sense. So I've been going to um, the Free Thought Project has posted a bunch of good stuff, the Gray Zone, uh, Mint Press we're going to use today for some of the show. And given that there's not really that much going on outside of the Ukraine situation, um, well, we're going to discuss that in various parts. And I'm going to do my best here to kind of break this down. I did not put a show out last week, and I want to... Um, I did put a couple shows out into the Patreon, but not publicly, and there's a reason for that. Uh, I was quite overwhelmed trying to understand and get a grasp of what's going on, Um, and I didn't want to grift off the situation. I didn't want to grift off of Russia invading Ukraine. It is a great time to score social capital points if you want to do that um, on Instagram or whatever, depending on wherever you are. Right, whatever you do, podcasts, all this stuff, it's a great time to get views, get clicks, maybe get some people on the Patreon, whatever it is. Uh, it's a great time to do that. I didn't feel comfortable taking that route, um, and I've been working on putting something together for a week now. It's been really, really frustrating and really stressful. Uh, so here we are doing the thing, and will it be the most cohesive show I've ever done? Probably not, but I tried to break this stuff into into segments that made sense given the situation and where we're at. Uh, I just want to discuss some things, and you know, I think that what what's going on is bad. I think what Putin's doing is wrong. I think that the United States has no moral high ground to tell them what they're doing isn't okay. We would do the exact same fucking thing. I also think that Putin seems to be showing a little bit of restraint, um, which is an unpopular opinion, but but what I'm seeing and hearing from other people. Um, around the war, the media ecosystem that I kind of live in is that there has been a little bit of a, uh, there's not really a, a lot of interest on Putin's end to killing Ukrainian civilians or military members. I mean, of course, that's going to happen. But I'm seeing things where like 
They're like, well, Putin shelled a, 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 a maternity ward at a hospital or some shit. And then you hear the other side, and it's like, well, Ukrainian soldiers decided it would be a good idea to fight out of that area. So that's what happens, which is the exact same. The funny thing is, it's the exact same um, kind of excuses or reasoning around what happens in Israel and Palestine, right? It's like, well, Hamas was in that hospital, so we had to blow it up. It's like, well, maybe you didn't. So, like, if you don't criticize both of those, I really have zero respect for your takes, right? Which is why I haven't really taken a lot of uh, Ben Shapiro's takes into account here because from what I understand and what I've seen of him, uh, it would be incredibly hypocritical. Him criticizing Putin for for what he's doing and not criticizing Israel for what they're doing, um, yeah, is not lit. And then as we go on, and we're talking about this down the road, and we, we discuss gas prices, um, you know, wanting to get oil from Saudi Arabia, who in, currently has killed way more civilians um, than Putin has um, in Ukraine, in Yemen. So that's going on uh, with some U.S. backing as well. So we'll see. We'll get into like how fascism is only an authoritarianism and c- civilian deaths and unjust wars and all this stuff that we hear kind of perpetuated constantly. Uh, it, it just doesn't move the needle for me because it's it's that we have gaping blind spots, right? As a culture, as to when and where we give a fuck about these kind of things. Like this exact same situation happened in Georgia, and I believe two thousand and seven. Um, Annex two regions that were separatist regions used those to, to go into the country because of NATO, <laughs> right? It's the same exact situation because of NATO expansion. And Putin's not a bluffer, you know, so we're in this really tricky situation here where, like I said, I'm trying to get a grasp on this thing. And I hope that you guys can understand that I I have zero interest in just kind of like following, following the, 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 the narratives. And some of you guys may hate that. Some of you guys may like that. I don't know. Um, you know, I feel like I have gotten some support. I've also had people coming at me over crazy things could be some, for some reason, starting world war three is, is a popular idea, right? Like I was getting into it just kind of looking at some stuff on Instagram today. And people are upset because Biden said that we're not going to put boots on the ground in Ukraine, which is good that, that you should say that in my opinion, right? You should say, Hey, we're not, we're not doing that. So don't point your nukes at us. We're not going in there. No, don't put, don't, don't have a nuke pointed at every single NATO country because they have enough nukes to do that. Okay. Between the United States and Russia, that's 90% of the world's nuclear weapons. And a lot of ours just happen to be really fucking close to Russia. Okay, so I think if you know if Russia partnered with Canada or Mexico in a very similar way that we're trying to annex Ukraine and make it a client state, we would be pissed. We would never let it happen, right? <laughs> just look back no further than the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, so we got to think about these kind of things. We've got to think about these kind of things and try and step back. And I... I spoke on the last show about this emotional leverage and we're seeing it everywhere, right? I mean, this is, we're so conditioned to this. I mean, just think about the amount of conditioning that happened here. And we'll get into that a little bit in the show too, but just without me saying my piece on this, just consider the amount of conditioning, whether it be Russia, whether it be following narratives, whether it being trusting, um, I would say like unanimous support of a, of a certain uh, ideology or belief system, it's it's just the next thing. I've never seen it this clear and blatant. And and that f- brings some kind of fear to me in a, in a way where I'm like, 
okay, so what's the next thing that people, people are like lily pad hopping onto social causes, right? Um, well, what happens next? What's the next one? I, I have, a, I have a, a distinct feeling that it's not going to be positive, but that is what it is. Guys, one thing, one way you can really support the show is by joining the Patreon. I'm going to pitch that real quick. We do a bonus episode in there every week. Even if there's a week like last week where a public show doesn't come out, the Patreon is still getting the content that they pay for because that's how it goes. Okay, I'm obligated contractually to give you guys content every week. They also have all the episodes of Thought Criminals, which I did put on hold. Thought Criminals was supposed to be out last week, but given everything that was going on, decided to postpone that launch a little bit. So we'll have that coming up real soon. But everybody in the Patreon has those episodes, and they have been diving into those two-hour-long conversations about all kinds of crazy shit. So, guys, if you want to join the Patreon, go to patreon.com slash politicallyhomeless. The link is in the show notes of this show, so you can do it right now while you're listening to the show. You don't, you don't even have to stop. You get a custom RSS feed on your podcast player, anyone besides Spotify. All you got to do is put it in there, and then you've got a custom feed. All these shows are ad-free, and plus that premium episode every week that is crowdsourced from the Patreon for the Patreon and ad-free episodes of Thought Criminals. If you, do, if you join the Deep State tier, the $15 tier, the $6 tier for the Thought Criminals, and there's a $15 tier. If you join that deep state tier, you do get to ask questions to some of the guests on the podcast. So we'll be pulling from some of your questions and we'll have a Q&A segment at the end for you guys. That being said, let's get into the show. State of things coming at you right now. Okay, and we're in it now. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> oh, man. Every now and then I get the idea that I should just do all these segments separately and then put them together, but why would we do that? Maybe we will. I don't know. Maybe we'll change things. We probably need to evolve over here a little bit, but I want to give you guys this kind of overarching uh, Ukraine update from my perspective. Um, apparently, and I've heard this and learned this on social media recently, uh, geopolitics are not complicated. They're actually quite simple and completely absent of, uh, of, of nuance and, and complexity. It's really as easy as good guys and bad guys. So that, that's, that's what I've been told numerous times. Uh, on social media, which has been really interesting. It's been an, uh, an eye-opening experience. I thought I was under the impression that socioeconomics, global politics, glo- global economics, globalization, these different things. I thought the relations and the histories of, of dynamic countries, I thought this was complicated. I thought it was worthwhile to explore different perspectives and try to understand uh, and empathize with all sides of an issue and hear what all sides, hear the points at least, even if I don't agree with a side, at least hear the points that they have to make. But apparently it's much more simple than that. You can take away McDonald's from a country um, and that solves the problems, right? It's like the fucking craziest thing ever. Now, it's funny, right? So we look at this whole thing, and we're going to get into the bio labs in more detail later. But if we think back, right, 9-11 has some correlates here, and I was actually watching a, a Netflix documentary on 9-11. Uh, I've been watching it over the past couple of weeks, and it's kind of funny to see how the post-9-11 era 
how that was how that was leveraged. Looking back now, knowing that so much of that stuff was bullshit, right? WMDs, Saddam has biological weapons, yada, 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 right? All these different things, these accusations towards Al-Qaeda that turned out to be false, not that Al-Qaeda was a, a, a positive, uplifting organization, right? It wasn't the fucking Care Bears, but a lot of the stuff ended up, ended up being lies, right? We have all that going on. At the same time, right, we just realize, just lately, <laughs> that... There were 25 to 30 uh, bio labs, biological research labs, not weapons labs. Of course, that research can be modified quickly into biological weapons if needed, which is the actual intent of those bio labs in the first place. But there's about 30 of those in Ukraine, funded by the United States. And of course, I'm sure they're all over Europe because they're in all kinds of countries. So if our justification was for war against Iraq, right, back in those days, was WMDs and biological weapons. And that turned out to be false. Well, if Putin's justification for war in Ukraine was biological weapons facilities, then he actually has more of a grounds for invasion than we had in Iraq and Afghanistan. So just to put it a little in perspective here, I don't like what Putin's doing. I don't like civilians dying. I'm going to say that until I'm a blue in the face. But that being said, we're talking about justification for military actions and insurgencies and occupations. Well, it seems like now he had more of a justification than we did in what turned into be a 20-year war. And for some reason, the most liberal thing to do now, and this, <laughs> the liberal, I, the shifting and evolving of the liberal ideology over the past 50 years fascinates me because now most liberal thing to do is not question powerful institutions. They're exempt from criticism. And as we talk about the amount of, of conditioning that had to take place to get us to a point where you have a massive support for one side in a very complex situation, if we look back at five years of Russiagate, right? Everybody saw that fun video. I played it on the show of, of Rachel Maddow talking about Russia, 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 Putin, Putin, Russia, Russia, Putin, Putin, like the whole thing, right? Which was driven by a lot of like Trump hate and biased media narratives. So there was that. And we just had this Russia, Putin, bad guy <laughs> flirting with McCarthyism um, for years to where that's become normalized, right? So we've normalized Russia hate, Okay. Now we're in situations where if Russia is in the name or you sell like Russian goods at a store, it's very likely to be vandalized. No one's bringing that up, right? Even some Ukrainian American citizens opened Russian tea houses because Russia has better name recognition than Ukraine. Um, and their places got vandalized or boycotted or these different like Russian-ish restaurants. Um, they're getting Yelp bombed where thousands of people are going out to Yelp and giving them one-star reviews and saying all kinds of mean things. So they're ruining these businesses. And this has been a trend we've seen through COVID and now into this Russia-Ukraine crisis is that who's actually being punished? Just working normal fucking people. Working people, small business owners. We have such an animosity towards small business owners some, for some reason now and like working class people that it goes unnoticed because our, our, our focus is on virtue as a culture. It's like, what makes me look and feel good? Not pragmatism. 
And pragmatism has its limits, and emotions are important, but the emotions should not be the foundation for your decision-making process, but that is where we are right now. So within that, Putin did offer a deal, right, which I honestly think is relatively reasonable. Relatively. And we're going to get into some conjecture here on just what I think should happen. Uh, which will have no bearing on what actually happens, but it might make some sense. It might not. You might think I'm a fucking piece of shit. I don't know. So the deal offered is demilitarization of Ukraine, which is probably a non-starter for Ukraine, given that their country was just invaded. Uh, Liberation of the Donbass region. So the Donbass is now no longer part of Ukraine. Uh, And that's been a civil war waged going on for eight years, since the coup in 2014. Um, and that Ukraine is not allowed, it's going to be in their constitution that they cannot join the EU or NATO or CTA, which is essentially Russia's response to NATO. So they can't join any bloc, um, which I think is likely the best case scenario for Ukraine. I think if you took a popular vote in the Donbass region, they would want to be separate from Ukraine. That is why that is why they've been fighting for eight years and getting shelled. And 15,000 people have died. And if you think those were all militants and rebels, you're on crack. Okay? So if we look at it now, and we don't know the actual numbers, but it's highly likely that Ukraine has killed more Ukrainian citizens in the past eight years than Putin has in this three weeks of war. So, I think that is a reasonable deal. Now, there are substantial Nazi elements in Ukraine. Now, saying that might get me in trouble. It might get this video taken down. I don't know, but I'm going to say it because it's fucking true. We're going to get into how true that is down the road. And from what I understand, the Azov Battalion has a lot of power and the Nazi stronghold in Ukraine is very strong. And yes, I understand that Zelensky is Jewish. But but the same people who are saying that wouldn't agree that having a black president made the United States any less racist. If anything, probably made it more racist. <laughs> right? So we've got competing narratives there. Okay? We've got competing narratives. Um. I think it's a reasonable deal. I don't think Zelensky can take it because of the neo-Nazi influence on him. Because part of that deal that I did not list yet is that Putin wants the Azov Battalion, the Nazis in Ukraine, he wants them fucking dead. Dead. He wants them dead. And to be completely honest with you, I would like to see the Nazis dead. I know that may be controversial now, and Facebook thinks it's okay to praise them now, but I have no love for Nazis. And a lot of people have even said, these aren't neo-Nazis, these are fucking old-school Nazis. Old-school Nazis. Like real Third Reich motherfuckers. Let that sink in, guys. That is a, that's, that's, that's a real thing that's really happening. Now, 
we're going to play a quick video here. Um, this is just a, a culmination. So there's been a few people that have warned about this over the past decade. So this video, there's a, this is a two minute quick clip here um, of, of a few people discussing kind of their, their primary takes on this whole situation. This is from the mint press. I highly recommend you go follow mint press on Instagram. Um, great little updates and, and countervailing narratives. You're not going to find anywhere else. I also recommend you follow the gray zone and Jake Tran on Insta on YouTube. He does really great documentaries. Um, and he's covered a few of these things where we're seeing these kind of adverse reactions to these sanctions that are punishing people that are not, that people aren't planning to be punished, right? Like the, there's a collateral damage economically of these sanctions. So let's just play this real quick and just see uh, where we can go from there. NATO represents on the part of Russia, a it's 2010. Trust. You break your words to us. Secondly, it represents military encirclement. But there's something even more profound that's a taboo in the United States. NATO expansion represents for the Russians American hypocrisy and a dual stand. The expansion of NATO is the expansion of the American sphere of influence. Where NATO goes, our military force goes. Where NATO goes, our arms munitions go. So there has been a tremendous expansion of American sphere of influence since the mid-1990s, right plunk on Russia's border. All the while, every administration, American administration, saying to Russia, you cannot have a sphere of influence because that's old thinking. In other words, what they say is we can now have the biggest sphere of influence the world's ever seen, and you don't get any, not even on your own border. Now so that was Stephen Cohen in 2010. Now we're moving on to 2015. Imagine that you have a revolution in Mexico. And imagine that the government that comes to power is not a big fan of the United States of America. But since it's a little bit afraid of Big Brother, it asks the Russians to send over three or four or five divisions to be placed on the U.S.-Mexican border. Think the U.S. would accept that? So why would the Russians accept this? That's a valid point. That's what it's really all about. Does there have to be a compromise? In my opinion, yes. And the compromise has to be that Ukraine, guaranteed, will not become a member of NATO. And then the compromise is that the Russians get out. What we're doing is encouraging... This is 2015, or 18, excuse me. ...encouraging the Ukrainians to play tough with the Russians. We're encouraging the Ukrainians to think that they will ultimately become part of the West because we will ultimately defeat Putin and we will ultimately get our way. And of course, the Ukrainians are playing along with this. And the Ukrainians are almost completely unwilling to compromise with the Russians and instead want to pursue a hardline policy. As I said to you before, if they do that, the end result is that their country is going to be wrecked. And what we're doing is, in effect, encouraging that outcome. I think it would make much more sense to work to create a neutral Ukraine. It would be in our interest to bury this crisis as quickly as possible. It certainly would be in Russia's interest to do so. And most importantly, it would be in Ukraine's interest to put an end to the crisis. And I agree with Merstheimer there. Um, this has been an encroaching NATO expansion. <sighs> the sphere of influence in the United States has gotten larger and larger. Russia has been exempt from that. And remember, Vladimir Putin wanted to join NATO once upon a time, right? He's like, why not? And they're like, well, because this is kind of here to fight against you, right? I think the best thing that we can do is come to the table because it, make no mistake, we're making a lot of the decisions here, um, and do the best we can to fight for a neutral, aggressively neutral Ukraine. Because just like Mersheimer says there, by encouraging them and giving them this false belief that they have a chance to win, we're either getting closer to the complete destruction of Ukraine or closer to World War III. And both of those solutions 
uh, both of those outcomes, excuse me, those are far from solutions, end in the destruction of Ukraine. So I don't understand where the win is here. I don't understand where the win is at all. I can't find it, right? Now, Switzerland is kind of like backed off of its neutrality, but it had a 200-year history of being incredibly neutral, aggressively neutral. And I think we have to get there with Ukraine. As as a as a nation, as NATO, as the world, like we just got to get there because this this bargaining chip isn't really adding up. It's not really working out, and they need to be neutral. So we need to be having conversations about how they beca- can become neutral, not how they become part of the West, not how they become part of NATO, not how they become part of the EU. None of that shit, because Ukraine is a very vulnerable spot. It's a soft spot on the border of Russia. It's broad and it's flat. Right? So Russia has valid concerns about bioweapons labs, nuclear weapons, boots on the ground in Ukraine. It's also not that far from Moscow. So there's a lot to be considered here. A lot to be considered. What aided Switzerland in becoming neutral for so long was their really aggressive and, and, and treacherous terrain, these mountains and this mountainous region. And they were also very wealthy. They got very wealthy, had enough power to defend themselves, and said, we're going to be out, right? And they end up acting as moderators many times. So we've got this really interesting situation, but there are going to have to be concessions. And Ukraine made some really bad decisions, and they got bullied by a bully, okay? And make no mistake, Vladimir Putin is a bully. Do I think it's much different than the United States? No. But they got bullied by a bully, and now they're between a rock and a hard place, and there are going to have to be concessions. Crimea is gone forever. Crimea is no longer part of Ukraine, will not be part of Ukraine. It is part of Russia now. There are oil and gas interests that have to do with Crimea. There's a lot of oil and gas off the shores of Crimea right there. And it's also likely that they're going to keep Crimea and then a strip of land on the coastline between the Donbass and Crimea. That's also on the table. And also not a bad deal for Ukraine because they still have got that other coastline where they can get their oil and gas. They can stay financially stable. They can do their thing. They're not going to be able to price gouge Russia on the pipelines coming through. But then if we go back and look at the Donald Trump presidency and people are like, well, this never would have happened under Trump. I don't really buy that because he was so against the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which is now completed. That was going to take natural gas, liquefied natural gas from Russia straight to Germany. I don't have any problem with Russia advancing their economic interests as a petro state. That's their, that's their thing. I don't have a whole lot of problem. It makes a lot of sense for me to germ for Germany to get their natural gas from Russia. What, the United States doesn't want is exactly that, right? Now, if you have a vested interest in the economic stability of the United States, which many of us do, may think that may think that's a problem. But what that is is competition. What that is is competition. So I feel like more of this than is than is being led on is about oil and gas interests, economics, and it's definitely not a fucking humanitarian issue. Because you didn't see the same outcry about Crimea. You didn't see this same outcry about Georgia. You're not seeing it about Palestine for more than a week at a time whenever it becomes trendy. You didn't see it. Uh, you don't see it about uh, Yemen, right? So this, this isn't about loss of life. And if you want to say, well, America is just innately racist and it's the only reason people care is because these people are white, maybe you have a point. But, um, yeah, this is really, really tough. And then we have this which I feel like just throws fuel on the fire. The Senate approves a $1.5 trillion budget containing emergency Ukraine 
aid. So the U.S. Senate passed a bipartisan $1.5 trillion spending bill that included $14 billion in aid to Ukraine Thursday night, a day after the measure was approved by the House of Representatives. The bill easily cleared the 60-vote threshold in a politically divided Senate, passing 68 to 31. Certain passage of the sweeping bill, which came five months late, would fund the U.S. through the summer and avert a government shutdown Saturday morning. Democrats were forced to scuttle a $15 billion COVID-19 relief package, which they just replaced with a Ukraine aid package there. Um, Wednesday to save the bill, but both parties rallied to send emergency in Ukraine as the to Ukraine as a country desperately fights to fend off Russian invaders. <sighs> so a lot of that too, and we're sending a fuck ton of weapons over there, right? Now, as we've discussed, there are some unsavory, there are some unsavory militias uh, in Ukraine. And that's a problem. And we're not just sending jets and all this other shit. Like the, the, these weapons deals involve all kinds of small arms, right? Which as we know, right? Because history, this is the one thing that frustrates the shit out of me. History didn't start in 2020. It didn't start in 2022. All right? Like this has been going on for a long time. When you arm rebels and extremists, you are putting gasoline on a fire that can go south real fucking quick, real quick. As we saw in Afghanistan, arming the Mujahideen against Russia with Stinger missiles and and the like, which then got turned and used against us by the Taliban and (laughs) Al-Qaeda, right? which all these different ISIS and these, all this stuff came from the Mujahideen, right? Before the Mujahideen, women in Afghanistan didn't have to cover their faces. It was more, it was a much more liberal place. And we like to pretend that we did some kind of favors over there, but we didn't. We started the problem and we sure as fuck didn't finish it because look what happened and how that ended. So maybe we need to learn our lesson about arming rebel groups and extremists but it seems like fascism is only a problem whenever they're not on your side. So that's where we're at. That's my opinion. That's my conjecture. That's my breakdown. And now we're going to move on to some other Ukraine-related stuff. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Cured Nutrition. You know about Cured. You've heard about Cured. But here's something new that you probably haven't heard about yet. It's called Nightcaps. Okay? So we got... A lot of things that we talk about from Cured that are fantastic, from the dog treats to the uh, Rise, Aura, and Zen, tinctures, all kinds of great stuff. And these, this company is doing an amazing job, an amazing job. And they just dropped this new product called Nightcaps. It's an all-natural sleep aid. It's going to improve your sleep quality, accelerate recovery. It's formulated specifically for nighttime use. And you compare it with that Zen product that I've talked about a ton to, for the ultimate sleep combo, that one-two punch for nighttime. Okay, so it contains 30 milligrams of full-spectrum CBD as well as 5 milligrams of CBN per serving, and it's mess-free. It's not tinctures, it's capsules. Take this shit 30 minutes before you go to sleep. You're going to have the best night's sleep of your life. The best night's sleep of your life. Okay, cured raw CBN capsules are specifically formulated to improve sleep quality and promote deep relaxation and longer, more restful sleep. You need that right now, okay? You need that right now. If something, some war breaks out domestically, you're going to need to have some sleep. You're going to need to have slept yourself and been rested, staying sharp. You're going to need mental acuity, and all that stuff comes from sleep. Even your hormone levels. Okay, If you get a shitty night's sleep, your testosterone goes, goes into the tank. And that means if you're a man, woman, a they, them, 
whatever. Hormones still matter. Okay. So if you get a shitty night's sleep, you're, uh, you know, you're going to have a hard time maybe performing in the bedroom. That's the thing that we don't want to do. A lot of those issues can be fixed with good sleep. All right. Maybe like performing at work, all these things, so many things are influenced by your quality sleep. And I want you to get the best quality sleep. Okay. I want you to listen to this podcast and I want you to go lay your sweet, beautiful head on a pillow and have the sweetest dreams. That's what I want for you. And that's why I want you to check out the nightcaps from cured. So what you can do is go to curednutrition.com. The link is in the show notes of this show. You can do it right now. Hit that shop tab at the top. It says all the things. And the first thing that's going to pop up is going to be nightcaps because it's brand new. And I want you to hook yourself up. Get it covered. And if you use promo code homeless, you're going to get 10% off of your nightcaps. Pick up some other stuff too. Get some treats for your dog. Your dog deserves some nice treats. It wants to be chilled out. Maybe you and your dog, you give your dog some CBD treats. You take these nightcaps about 30 minutes before bed and you guys just hang out on the couch and cuddle. It's a good connecting time between you and your animal. You need that. It's important. Guys, check it out. CuredNutrition.com. Promo code HOMELESS will get you 10% off. Now, let's talk about Element real quick. Everybody loves Element. Element's great. You guys send me pictures all the time. You tell me all the time how much you love this stuff. What it is. Let's let's pull the ingredients up real quick. I got it right here in my hand. Salt, malic acid, magnesium, malinate, potassium chloride, natural flavors, and stevia leaf extract. That's right. No sugar, baby. It's sweet. It's tart. It's salty, and there's no sugar, and it's hydrating as fuck. One of the best things about having it in this little convenient packet that you have it in is that you can make it as strong or as weak as you want. Usually, I'm mixing up my element in a Yeti or something similar or a mason jar, right? But you can also just figure out how much water you like. If, you've, if, you, if you have element right now and you're like getting used to it and just trying it out for new, try it real strong and then try it real watered down. I like mine stronger. My wife likes hers a little bit more watered down. Whatever floats your boat. Doesn't matter. You're still getting hydrated as fuck either way. I drink one or two of them a day. Sometimes three. It just depends. If I'm doing, if I'm more active, I'm drinking the shit out of this stuff. And they just released a study I need to, re- I need to read on their website about salt during your workout. So if you're doing like CrossFit or high-intensity workouts, this, there's, there's a new study showing that there could be an improvement in your performance by drinking salt during your workout, which is funny because back in the day, during like two-a-days uh, practice, they would give us salt pills to keep us from cramping. Uh, and they stopped doing that for some reason, but that was a thing. And it was like a, it was kind of like an old wives' tale that it would work. And now here we are looking at it now, and it's like, oh, maybe they were onto something and didn't even know it. Guys, if you haven't tried Element yet, you're doing yourself a disservice. Go to drinkelement.com, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash wanders. All you have to do is go down, scroll down into the show notes, click the link in the show notes. Okay, you're going to get a free variety pack. All you have to do is cover shipping. It's a $5 shipping charge, and you get a free variety pack of their most popular flavors. And then from there, you can figure out which way you want to go. Do you want to go with the with the mint chocolate, right? You a nighttime nighttime sweet sweet uh, sweet craving daddy. You might be, and that's okay, right? Maybe you can curve those cravings with that chocolate. Mix it with some hot water. Make it strong. Make it sweet. Or are you like me, where you like the watermelon and the grapefruit. You're more of a, a citrus watermelon type vibe. That's okay. Whatever, dude. Maybe you're all of the all of the above, and you just want to order a humongous case. It doesn't matter. What does matter is that you go to drinkelement.com slash wanders. You click that link in the show note for whatever you do. Use that link every time you buy something. 
because it makes me look good and uh, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? Don't tell me I'm wrong here. I mean, there's not very many things that I con- I'm convinced that I'm right about, but I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. DrinkElement.com slash Wanderers. Get that variety pack, just $5 for shipping. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, so there's been a quite a so, uh, censorship push. Um, <laughs> it's, it's been broad reaching and kind of insane, to be honest with you. Uh, we've got a lot going on here. I mean, RT is banned in, in the EU. Now YouTube is taking that RT, which is Russia Today, which is state-backed uh, media from Russia. has been banned on YouTube. I like RT. I like RT a lot. There's a lot of things that uh, Russians could surely get from American media that they don't that they don't see on their own um, on their own media that's critical of Russia. Just like we get to see a lot of things on RT uh, that we couldn't see on our media about things that the United States is doing. I think it's good to balance both of those things out. And I think not wanting to hear the other side's perspective on this is not fucking helping. It's the same thing as shutting down anybody who had a questions about the COVID vaccine or wanted to talk about the lab leak theory, all these things, right, which turned it up being kind of like, um, you know, credible, um, they got shut down, right? Because you're only, you're only allowed to hear one side of a story. But as we know, and as we've discussed, there's way more nuance to this than what people want to expect, accept. They don't want to accept there's like a, this is a complicated issue, a very complicated issue. So Abby Martin has lost, uh, which you don't know, she's a very anti-imperialist, uh, anti-war, pro-Palestinian uh, human being, great, real investigative journalist. She had 600 videos of hers taken off of YouTube that when she from when she did work at RT. Now she got fired from RT for criticizing Putin's invasion of Crimea, right? You know that invasion that no one really gave a fuck about in 2014? Yeah, she spoke out against that and got fired, Okay. So she's not really holding back on Putin here, and she criticized the uh, United States invading Afghanistan and Iraq, and um, she 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 took a principled stance against Putin invading Crimea, right? Which I think is a pretty rational thing to do considering where it was going on. But again, not a good thing, right? Good and rational are not necessarily the same thing. So um, on top of all of that. All Russian YouTube users now are demonetized, right? So they already took away their ads, but now any other way of monetization through YouTube is now gone. So super chats and all that kind of stuff when you go live on YouTube, all of that is gone for Russian people. Now that could be a Russian person who's doing a live stream uh, about how about the problems of the Putin regime, right? A very anti-war Russian demonetized, right? So you're crushing people. And we're going to go into more of how this is crushing people as well. Here is an article article from Business Insider. Here are the major U.S. and European companies that are pulling out of Russia following the invasion of Ukraine. Estee Lauder, Ikea, Spotify, H&M, Disney, Warner Brothers, Canada Goose, Expedia, Adidas, ExxonMobil. That's, that's, <laughs> ExxonMobil, I think, spent $15 billion in Ukraine, because Ukraine didn't have the money to pump its own oil. Uh, so that makes sense. Uh, Harley Davidson, General Motors, which they make better cars in Europe anyways. <laughs> so they'll probably be fine. Uh, some truck manufacturers, BP, Apple. Now, Apple didn't have any stores in Russia, but they their products were popular through third-party dealers. Um, Equinor, let's see, some other ones that are relevant here, some fashion bullshit, caring. Hermes, so you can't get your high-end bandanas for $300 in Russia now. Chanel, Zara, PayPal, 
Visa. So anybody, any Etsy, any Etsy dealers, any Etsy, Etsy creators now that used PayPal to get their, uh, to get their payments. Nope. They can't do that. That's really, I, th- I don't think that Putin was using a lot of PayPal MasterCard, American Express, Netflix. So here's a weird one because Netflix was a great way for Russians to get a glimpse into like Western culture, right? And Russia, Russia had kind of moved to a more like Western culture over time and was heading in that direction over the past several decades. But now that's gone, right? TikTok. Now what TikTok is doing, um, since it is a Chinese app, what they're doing is limiting live streaming and uh, some other stuff to combat uh, the fake news. So people, I think a lot of it has to do with the fake news law in Russia. I don't know. TikTok is weird to me because like their algorithm is very like adaptable based on the region that you're in. So you would think that they would just shift in a very pro Russia slant, which is probably what they'll end up doing. But as of now, they're doing some, some kind of bullshit. Burberry, Puma, Prada, PwC, KM. I don't even know what some of these are. Airbnb, Legos. So this is it. Legos. So Russian kids can't play with Legos now because that's helping. IBM, Levi's, McDonald's, Unilever. So you can't get your Ben and Jerry's and on it anymore (laughs) in fucking Russia. Coca-Cola, Starbucks, Pepsi, Bumble. And I believe you can still use Bumble, but you can't download it on the app store in Russia anymore. So um, no more women-empowered Dating apps in Russia, I guess. Amazon Web Services, that's a big deal. Heineken, KFC, Papa John's, Nestle, Philip Morris, 3M, Goldman Sachs. Now, Goldman Sachs is actually full of shit because right now they're uh, they're playing heavy into recovery plays for Russia. So they're like virtue signaling that they're that, that they're backing out, but they're finding a way to stack fucking paper the whole whole time. So don't even don't even get yourself started. I'm believing that Goldman Sachs is not finding a way to fucking leverage this as much as they can to make as much money as possible because they are a soulless organization. Um, Unico, some other fashion stuff. Deutsche Bank, you know, the bank that uh, it, it has such a moral high ground that it was able to uh, knowingly uh, work with Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> after he was a, 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 a sex criminal, right, convicted. And then, of course, there's lots of other shady stuff going on with him. But Deutsche Bank, Deutsche Bank, or however the fuck you say that, they're uh, they're taking the, a moral stance here. They also deal with a lot of fuck, a lot of uh, a lot of money laundering. They're they're a, they're a, a, a dark dark organization, but they're on the right side of this issue. Let me tell you about it. So let's look at all these things. You know, I listed all those off for a reason. When we look at this here, um, <laughs> it's insane, right? Because what. Do you think that Estee Lauder and them not having Estee Lauder is going to do anything to change this? You know what's going to happen? Anybody who worked at an Estee Lauder retailer now doesn't have a job. Anybody who worked at a KFC, a McDonald's, a Starbucks doesn't have a job. Is that good? Is that, is that, is that moving in the right direction? Should we punish the Russian people who have nothing to fucking do with this? Nothing at all. The Russian people don't like the oligarchs. They don't like what's going on oftentimes. They want to be involved in this. Just like, I don't give a fuck, and I don't want to be involved in this. I don't want our gas prices in the United States to be $9 a fucking gallon or whatever it's going to be. But we're doing the same thing to them. We're hurting ourselves, right? We're cutting off our nose to spite our face. That's what we're doing here. This isn't helping at all. 
It's fucking virtue signaling bullshit. It's the same thing as posting a black square or hashtag BLMing during all that bullshit, right? Which we all turned out. It all turned out to be like, wow, that company was kind of a fraud. And the $60 million they have just kind of happens to be, I don't know, buying real estate in fucking California. Like, what are we doing here? What? Bumble? Bumble. You're going to take a principled stance against the people of Ukraine. Do you think fucking Vladimir Putin is on Bumble? Do you think the Russian oligarchs are using your service? No. If oligarchs want women, they pay for them. That's how that works. They don't use fucking Bumble. They're not swiping left and right. KFC? So what? So what is this? Just trying to create a popular uprising so there's a coup in fucking Russia? Or do you want their children to fucking starve to death? Which is it? Do you want mass death and destruction or mass death and destruction? Because that's what it's fucking sounding like right now. That's what it seems like to me. We don't think this shit through. You don't think this shit through. And it's insane. Why are you getting involved in this? I don't don't believe that anybody at Estee Lauder or KFC or Bumble has a, a full grasp on what's going on right now. I just, I, I don't, and it's like, oh, we're going to take the hit to, to, for so, you know, for justice for the Ukrainian people. Okay. Okay. That's cool, I guess. Whatever. But like, do you understand the damage that does to normal working people that live there and just try to do their thing that aren't involved? They're not marching into Ukraine. They're not shelling buildings. That's not them. That's not the people that are doing that. But it's it's like anything Russian pianist, Russian cat cats aren't allowed in cat shows now. I even saw I posted a thing on Instagram today at a mustard museum that took away the Russian mustard. Until it's like, oh, you really showed them there with the fucking at the mustard museum, which I didn't even know existed. A Russian pianist who's like 19 and a prodigy isn't allowed to play now in in the United States because he didn't. Uh, because he's Russian? He didn't condemn Vladimir Putin. It's like, yeah, maybe he doesn't want to spend five years in jail for condemning Vladimir Putin. Maybe that's not on his uh, to-do list as a pianist. <laughs> so you put this guy in a situation where it's like, do, what, do, do your duty or go to jail for five years. It's like, um, what? No, I would do the same thing. Fuck you guys. This is where we're at. This is where we're at, right? The censorship, this like these companies virtue signaling and doing nothing but hurting the Russian people who had nothing to do with this, who had nothing to do with this. And you think this is going to do anything besides breed resentment towards the West from the Russian people? Are you trying to turn the Russian population against the West? Now, of course, there's probably strongholds that are pretty anti-Western within Russia, but why push people that wouldn't be, right? Why push people that wouldn't be into being like, what the fuck are you doing? Somebody who worked at a Starbucks. Now what? Now what? So we move on here. As we discussed earlier, Facebook allows praise of neo-Nazi Ukrainian battalion if it fights the Russian invasion. It's from The Intercept here. This is some pretty good reporting. Facebook will temporarily allow its billions of users to praise Azov Battalion, a Ukrainian neo-Nazi military unit previously banned from being freely discussed under the uh, company's dangerous individuals and organizations policy, the Intercept has learned. So up until just the other day, 
the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion was on the list of dangerous individuals and organizations. Think about that. The policy shift made this week is pegged as or pegged to the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine and preceding military escalations. The Azov Battalion, which functions as the as an armed wing of the border, uh, broader Ukrainian white nationalist Azov movement, began as a volunteer anti-Russian militia before formally joining the Ukrainian National Guard in 2014. Again, that's when the, the United States-backed coup happened. Um, the regiment is known for its hardcore right-wing ultra-nationalism and the neo-Nazi ideology pervasive among its members. Though it has in recent years downplayed its neo-Nazi sympathies, the group's affinities are not subtle. Azov soldiers march and train wearing uniforms bearing icons of the Third Reich. Its leadership has reportedly courted uh, American alt-right and neo-Nazi elements. And in, two, and in 2010, the battalion's first commander and former Ukrainian parliamentarian Andy and. and Andriev <laughs> Belinsky stated that Ukrainians' national purpose was to lead the white races of the world in a final crusade against the Semite-led Untermenschen. I, I don't know what the fuck that even means. <laughs> the subhumans. The Semite-led subhumans. That's what he means. So very Nazi-esque way of going about life there. With Russian forces reportedly moving rapidly against targets throughout Ukraine, Facebook's Blunt, list-based approach to moderation puts the company in a bind. What happens when a group you've deemed too dangerous to freely discuss is defending its country against a full-scale assault? According to the internal policy materials review, reviewed by The Intercept, the Facebook will allow praise of the, uh, of the Azov Battalion when explicitly or exclusively praising their role in defending Ukraine or their role as part of Ukraine's National Guard. Internally published examples of speech that Facebook now deems acceptable includes Azov uh, movement volunteers are real heroes that are much needed support for our National Guard or we are under attack. Azov has been courageously defending our town for the last six hours. And I think Azov is playing a patriotic role during this crisis. So those are examples of things you can say. Now let's move on here. The materials stipulate that Azov still can't use Facebook platforms for recruiting purposes or for publishing its own statements and that the regiment's uniforms and banners will remain as banned hate symbols and imagery. So their uniforms and the badges they wear on them are still hate symbols and imagery, but you can praise them if it fits your cause. In a tactic acknowledging acknowledgement of the group's ideology, the memo provides two examples of posts that would not be allowed under the new policy. Uh, Goebbels, the fur of Azov, are all great models for national sacrifice and heroism, and well done, Azov, for protecting Ukraine and its white nationalist heritage. Those are things that you can't say. So you see how the, the waters are a little muddy here. The waters are a little muddy here because it's like you can praise a Nazi organization, just don't make it explicitly Nazi-ish. Just don't, just don't say that part out loud. You can praise them all you want. But they can't use it for recruiting. But painting them in a positive light would probably help the recruiting, right? Weird. Weird. We live in a clown world. We live in a clown world. Absolutely, absolutely insane. But it's where we are. That's what we're doing. I mean, I, just, I feel like I'm going fucking crazy. I feel like I... like. We're in a what happened is our entire world, our entire reality is a video game. Okay. 
and some kid was playing the video game, okay, and built this whole like Sim City situation, and then just got bored and like dropped the controller on the ground, and the joysticks were all pushed to one side, and now we're just spinning in fucking circles. That's what's happening now. That that is that's honestly just based on like Occam's Razor, the most logical explanation for what the fuck is going on in our world right now, and it's absolutely driving me insane. And as promised, we're going to talk about biolabs, biological research facilities, as uh, Victoria Newland like to call them. So we're going to use this great piece by Glenn Greenwald, who's been a great, um, a great resource for me through this whole process. Uh, Shouts to Glenn Greenwald for doing the work that he does. But it says, Victoria Newland, Ukraine has biological research facilities. Worried Russia may seize them. The neocons confession sets critical light on the U.S. role in Ukraine and raises vital questions about these labs that deserve answers. Now, biological research could mean a lot of things. Could mean a lot of things because based on, you know, treaties that we have, we can't make biological weapons. But we can do research on things that could be biological weapons to create vaccines for such biological weapons, which means that we're making biological weapons, right? That could be easily weaponized. That makes sense to everybody, right? That's like, that's a pretty, there's a pretty solid through line there and a pretty easy loophole or workaround when it comes to these bioweapons. And if there wasn't something that was dangerous in these biolabs or biological research facilities, right? If there wasn't something dangerous in them, then why would you be concerned about Russia getting a hold of them? If you're building, making new shampoos or like some new fertilizer, like then that's fine. Like what do you, okay. So Russia's going to have the, 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 the utmost technology and fucking hair softening. Like what are we doing here? But that's not what it is. It's things like anthrax and SARS and weaponized viruses, Right. And what we're getting in this is like, you'll see this a lot. Like, well, what is a biological research facility? Kind of like, what, what is gain of function anyways? What is gain of function anyways? I mean, well, you know, it's like, yeah, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Guys, there were 30 fucking biological research facilities funded by the United States in Ukraine. Come at me and tell me that we didn't fucking ask for this. Right? What didn't Lindsey Graham say? We support Ukraine so we can fight Russia over there so we don't have to fight them over here? Come on. Wise up. Self-anointed anointed fact checkers in the U.S. corporate press have spent two weeks mocking as disinformation and a false conspiracy theory the claim that Ukraine has biological weapons labs either alone or with U.S. support. They never presented any evidence for their ruling. How could they possibly know? How could they prove the negative? But nonetheless, they invoked their characteristically authoritative, above-it-all tone of self-assurance and self-arrogated right to the decree right to decree the truth, definitely, definitively labeling such claims as false. Claims that Ukraine currently maintains dangerous bio, biological weapons labs came from Russia as well as China. The Chinese foreign ministry this month claimed that the U.S. has 336 labs in 30 countries under its control, including 26 in Ukraine alone. The Russian foreign ministry asserted that Russia obtained documents proving that Ukrainian biological laboratories located near Russia borders worked on development of compounds of biological weapons. Such assertions deserve the same level of skepticism as U.S. denials. Namely, none of it should be believed to be true or false absent evidence. That's a really good statement. Yet, U.S. fact-checkers dutifully and reflectively sided with the U.S. government and declared such claims disinformation and to mock them as QAnon conspiracy theories. 
<sighs> Such a tried and true method there. Um, unfortunately for the propaganda racket masquerading as neutral and high-minded fact-checking, the neocon official official long in charge of U.S. policy in Ukraine testified on Monday before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and strongly suggested that such claims are, at least in part, True. Yesterday afternoon, Under Secretary of State Victoria Newland appeared before the Foreign Senate. Um, so, excuse me, before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Senator Marco Rubio, uh, Republican of Florida, hoping to debunk growing claims that there are chemical weapons labs in Ukraine. Smugly asked Newland, "Does Ukraine have any chemical or biological weapons?" Now, let's get into that segment right here. This is just a beautiful, beautiful piece of work. Well, um, I only have a minute left. Let me ask you. Um, does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Uh, Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities, which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. I'm sure you're aware that the Russian propaganda groups are already putting out there all kinds of information about how they've uncovered a plot by the Ukrainians to release biological weapons in the country and with NATO's coordination. If there's a biological or chemical weapon incident or, uh, or attack inside of Ukraine, is there any doubt in your mind that 100 percent it would be the Russians that would be behind it? There is no doubt in my mind, Senator, and it is classic Russian uh, technique to blame on the other guy what they're planning to do themselves. Well, um, that whole thing right there requires some analysis. So Rubio expects her to say, no, of course not. Of course, there's not biological weapons facilities in Ukraine, but she told a version of the truth, which we're not used to seeing from government officials. She's told a version of the truth, right? And she stumbles through that. And the proper question to follow up would be like, why is that concerning? What is in those facilities that would be concerning to you? But instead, he, panicking, pivots to preconditioning. If there is a biological attack, is there any doubt in your mind that it was Russia that did it. Which she smiles, right? If you notice that, she smiles a little bit and says there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that it would have been Russia that did it. Now, this is somebody who was involved heavily in the 2014 coup. Uh, she's been a, she's, she's a member of the deep state. Let's just call it that, right? She's been around for several administrations, I believe four at this point. And had a lot of influence on what was going on in Ukraine. She's been intimately involved in Ukraine for a long, long, long time. Okay? If you are naive enough to believe that these are innocuous biological research facilities, you need to rethink your situation. Okay? These are biological weapons facilities. That is what they are. That is what they're meant for. Whether it's for offensive or defensive, that's what they are. And they're on the border of Russia. So we'll again reframe this. What if Russia had biological weapons facilities or biological research facilities? Excuse me. Let's be appropriate here. Let's be precise with our language. What if Russia had biological research facilities in Mexico? What would we do? How would we feel? How would we react to that? I don't think we'd be happy. I don't 
think we'd be happy. And it's so funny how the narrative changed. The narrative changed from one moment is these things don't exist to this next moment. It's a seamless transition, right? The chocolate ration has always been six grams. Okay? To from, from, these things don't exist. These biological weapons facilities don't exist to we need to protect these biological research facilities. We need to protect them at all costs. No apology. No, oops, my bad, that we were wrong. None of that. None of that seamless transition between they don't exist, we need to protect them. How does anybody expect for an American citizen to have any trust in these institutions or our leadership anymore? I mean, give me a fucking break. Insane. Now we'll jump into what Tulsi Gabbard had to say the same day One of the few on Tucker Carlson. Else we know in the foreign policy realm is Tulsi Gabbard, the former member of Congress from Hawaii, and we're happy to have her join us tonight. Congressman, thanks so much thanks for so coming on. So it's, without even going into the, what they told us was Russian disinformation is actually true, how concerned are you that Torian Newland, who's overseeing this war, has just admitted there are unsecure bioagents, dangerous bioagents, in Ukraine? I'm extremely concerned, as should be every American and everyone in the world. Uh, the seriousness of this situation really can't be overstated. First of all, she didn't say no when she was asked yeah. by Marco Rubio about there being biological or chemical weapons in Ukraine. So uh, if, if there were or are, obviously that would be a, a violation of the Biological Weapons Convention. Uh, number two. She, they're, they're categorically been trying to hide this, as you've laid out very, very well. And then once they were found out, rather than saying, hey, you know what, this is a, a critical emergency, it's a crisis, we have these pathogens in the midst of a war zone, yes. not just in one location, but between 20 and 30 labs in Ukraine, We've, this is a global crisis, we're going to take action immediately. This is how a responsible leader would react, given the crisis of this moment. But instead, what did they do? Her response to, to Senator Rubio was immediately start pointing fingers. We're going to preemptively start the blame game should anything exactly. happen to these pathogens and, and who knows what is going on in these labs. Before anything bad happens, just say, you know what, it's the bad guys. It's the bad guys who are responsible for this. It's, I, it is the height of irresponsibility, their response to this, the fact that they're covering it up, the fact that they aren't doing really what needs to be done. Because if, unless this war in Ukraine ends right now, ends tonight, we face a, a very real certainty that one or more of these labs will be compromised, will be breached, and it won't just be the people of Ukraine who are impacted. We could face another cri global crisis when you look at a pathogen that could be released. We just went through this with COVID. Uh, we can't have forgotten this already. And once again, Agencies in the U.S. government, without our knowledge, are secretly funding research that, you know, imperils the world and no one is ever punished for it. So well, speaking of no one ever punished, I wanted to get your reaction to this. 27 foreign policy heavyweights just signed yeah. an open letter calling for what they call a, quote, limited no-fly zone over Ukraine. <laughs> Some of the people who signed it include Stupid. former NATO allied Supreme Commander Phil Breedlove, U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine William Taylor, former U.S. Ambassador to NATO Kurt Volker, et cetera, et cetera. What exactly are they proposing, and is it a wise idea, do you think? 
Uh, it is not. Just, just one last thing on, on the danger of these, of course. these labs that the U.S. is funding, not only in Ukraine and around the world. They need to be shut down immediately. They need yes. to be shut down immediately. They are insecure. They are posing a threat to the world. They need to be shut down immediately. Uh, on, on the no-fly zone that's being uh, proposed and encouraged by these so-called foreign policy experts, look, they're, they're trying to act tough. Tucker, they're trying to say, you know, we've got to do something. And, and I, I get it. There is so much suffering that we're seeing on our televisions all day and all night. And, and I get that the American people are frustrated because we want to see this end. Instead of our leaders doing the responsible thing and saying, OK, let's do our best to try to facilitate a negotiated outcome to actually end this conflict, a window of opportunity that President Zelensky opened up, you know, what, just 24, 36 hours ago. Instead of doing that, they're focused on, hey, let's just do something, look tough, enact a no-fly zone, which would not help the Ukrainian people. It would make things worse. It's not going to help the American people. It'll make things worse. It'll drastically escalate this crisis and put our pilots directly against Russian pilots, putting us in conflict at war with Russia, the other nuclear armed power, pushing us, shoving us towards this brink of, of nuclear catastrophe and nuclear war that, that would destroy the world. Yeah, and Ukraine. You know, save Ukraine by destroying and Ukraine. So give me exactly. Iraq. And Iraq. Yeah, I mean, I wish she was president right now, but Hillary Clinton decided to call her a Russian agent. And she's being called a Russian agent, being dragged quite a bit right now. Now, I don't agree with what she's saying uh, about them being like, yeah, we've got these facilities, we've got to protect them, we should just come out and say it. Because I think the Americans will be kind of devastated to realize there was 330-some-odd biological research facilities funded by the United States around the world to the tunes of probably, I would assume, billions and billions of dollars. Right, because if they let you in on what that Pentagon budget does, or whatever other fucking crazy ass budget that's hidden in some stack of papers somewhere, if they let you in on that, you might have some serious questions. And when the same conservatives that like to yell about government spending and yada 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 seem to approve those bills without any any you know real consideration for their hypocrisy, well, then you you would have you would have better questions to ask, and that would lead to you know accountability and there's one thing that our elected leaders are terrified of and that is accountability so you can always trust them to avoid accountability trust them to be exactly what they've always been <laughs> unaccountable assholes self-righteous pompous rich insider trading pieces of human shit and i know it's a little bit aggressive I don't like to say things like that about all politicians and do it that way. There are definitely outliers, but there ain't many, baby. <laughs> there aren't many. And this, <laughs> the, the, this is a Q. Nowadays, when somebody says it's a QAnon conspiracy theory, I'm like, well, it's probably fucking true. I mean, QAnon was a CIA psyop, clearly, but. <laughs> I mean, come on, dude, every time at this point, because QAnon doesn't really exist anymore. So if someone's using that phrase to try and just credit something, they're obviously trying a little too hard because QAnon has completely failed. Anybody out there is still in that camp is like the hyper fringe weirdos. So they're bringing that term up at this point. Now, this is two years ago, different conversation. But at this point, if they're using that term to try to discredit something, there's probably a reason why they're eliciting and, and, and really leveraging that term. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. 
Um, it's impossible for them to be open about where the money goes because there'd be accountability. And at, that, at the end of the day, that, that, that's why it not, not until we have a, a drastic and, and potentially tragic situation do we have to be open about where we're spending money and what kind of nefarious bullshit we're getting up to as a nation. So good on Tulsi. Good on Tulsi and good on Tucker for having her on. Appreciate it. So let's discuss gas prices briefly and kind of the solutions that we're, we're looking at as a country um, for solving the hyperinflated gas prices that we're dealing with now. The national average for gas prices is very, definitely uh, approaching $5, which is about $1.50 in like 1990 money, but we'll just leave that there for now. But uh, this, this situation is really interesting, right? Because you have these oil companies, right? Big oil. Lost its ass at COVID, right? The, the the demand went way down. The prices went way down. They were negative for a while. It was crazy. Uh, and Wall Street, importantly, and the big oil companies lost their ass during that time. And now what they're doing is recouping those losses via high prices. They don't want to inc- increase production. Uh, they're not drilling in a lot of in a lot of areas, um, and they want those prices to stay high for their own self interest. Understandably so, I guess, if you're in the in the in the business of of making money first and that's your primary objective, well, there you go, right? I mean, it it, it adds up. That being said, when we decided to ban Russian oil and gas imports into the United States, which is only eight percent of our production, in normal times, that probably would have been okay. It probably would have caused a little bit of a, a price price hike, but nothing crazy, right? When you're paying another maybe twenty five cents a gallon, maybe you're paying. Three dollars a gallon, gallon instead of two seventy five. But now we're seeing in California seven dollars a gallon. Uh, we're we're at th- an average of three ninety six, I believe, here in Colorado. Like it, we're we're doing, it's getting bad. Even in Texas, it's like three twenty five, three forty, something like that. So it's getting really bad. So what we did was we just kind of compounded insult to injury here. Right, because the the high gas prices did benefit the oil and gas companies. Of course, it it benefited their Wall Street investors, and again, really compensating for those losses they had early in COVID when people quit driving, people quit flying, airplane airplanes are uh, and, and airlines were were limiting flights. Like there was a lot of stuff that just it just de- de- decreased the demand rapidly. Um, I wish I would have shorted the fuck out of all the oil and gas companies at that time, um, but we're in the situation where we've got to do something. Right, we've got to do something. I mean, it's weird. We're kind of in a hard. We're putting a rock in a hard place. And here's something that I want to take a pretty hard stance on. You have the the Democrats, right? I'm not going to call them the left, but especially now, but the Democrats, okay, who want to villainize oil and gas. Okay, they want to villainize oil and gas. They want to go to full renewables, as if renewables are consequence free, which they're most definitely not. Right then, you have the Republicans who want to villainize green energy. You see this, right? You see it's pretty clear. There's a villain on both sides. They both made a villain. Okay, it's which is kind of fucking retarded. Let's just be honest. All these things need to work together, right? Wind, solar, natural gas. You know, coal is probably a little bit outdated, but it probably has a role somewhere. But we're not getting away from it anytime soon. Okay, for decades. So they need to work in conjunction, which has actually been going pretty good. We've dropped our our emissions quite a bit. 
right? We have some like clowns that think that like cows cause climate change, which is the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life and has been thoroughly debunked by anybody who actually wants to look into it. But when it comes to the way that we use energy in cars right now, right? Like, so I drive a four runner right now, I get 16 miles to the gallon. It's kind of annoying. I need a, I need a truck to get around. Uh, so I've been looking at new trucks. I was looking at the GMC half ton pickups of 1500s with a Duramax diesel. You can get on in eco mode on the highway. You can get 30 to 40 miles a gallon in a full-size half-ton pickup truck. That's huge, right? Between that, Tesla, the new Toyota Tundra that just came out gets uh, with a hybrid model gets 26 miles to the gallon. Uh, these are really big innovations in the, in the, in the automotive space, right? It's, it's a matter of time before Tesla puts out a semi-truck, okay? We're moving in a good direction. We're not going to be able to wean ourselves off of oil and gas until it's a combination of highly efficient uh, vehicles, and you see the way it's going now. You see the way it's going now, right? So if it's feasible for you to get 30 miles a gallon in a half-ton pickup with a, with a, a small diesel engine in it, well, then it might be reasonable that you get 50 or 60 miles a gallon in 20 or 30 years when the innovation gets better, right? Because we're all pushing towards that uh, more efficient, less petroleum usage, electric vehicles, things like that. Tons of hybrids out now, tons of really nice hybrids, lots of high-end electric cars. It's good. We're moving in the right direction. But we're not there yet, and everybody wants to jump the gun because jumping the gun makes it sound like you're being aggressive and assertive and moving the country in a proper direction. But that's not necessarily the case, right? There is a role for markets, and there is a role for innovation in us moving in that direction, and it's done really well. We've been doing a good job over the past five or six years especially, and Tesla had a lot to do with that. Right by putting out the Cybertruck at some point, um, high-end luxury electric cars that are fucking fast as shit. Like these are, it's it's been good. We've been moving in the right direction. Right, more houses. If you drive towards my house, houses have solar panels everywhere. We're gonna try and put in solar panels in the spring to supplement our electricity. We're still gonna have to have backup electricity, but it would be nice to supplement a little bit. And then if anything ever goes wrong and the grid collapses, we have a way to uh, between that and generators power this thing. Right. And we've got sunshine quite a bit of the time, so it works out. We're moving in the right direction is what I'm trying to say here. Okay? But when you cut off oil imports from Russia, you actually end up hurting us in this situation more than Russia. In normal times, when gas is $2.25 a gallon, yeah, you could probably pull that off. But right now, it doesn't really make a ton of sense. It doesn't make a ton of sense. And what's happening in response to that makes even less sense. Since Biden criticized over report of planned Saudi trip to discuss global oil supply. So the Saudi king actually denied Biden's phone call. The phone call did not happen. Didn't want to talk to him. Now, we're villainizing Russia for killing civilians and yada, 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 all these other things. Well, and that's not good. That is bad. What Putin's doing is bad. Not good. Not lit. Sucks. Okay. And what Saudi Arabia is doing with our backing in Yemen is even worse. So we're going to quit taking oil from Russia and then move over to the Saudis? The Saudis. Where I think, was it 14 of the 19 hijackers of 9-11 came from Saudi Arabia? Why in the fuck would we come go crawling to the Saudis for oil and gas? Why? And then, on top of that, on top of that, we're also looking at the Biden administration going to Venezuela, who they've demonized 
And the United States is demonized, right? Maduro, he's this, he's a dictator, he's a socialist, and you see, conservatives are really bad about this. It's just like, oh, da 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 And they like have a different president that's an American-backed president that they say is the real president, and it was at Trump's State of the Union address and all this other stuff. And now we're going to go and be like, oh, our bad. Our bad. Can we have some oil now? Right? Which we sanctioned the fuck out of them and like ruined their fucking country. <laughs> right? Because they're a petro-state as well. Even though when they started making all this oil money, um, they spin it like drunken sailors and that they, they drove their economy into the ground via some kind of like fake socialism situation. But now we're going to Venezuela. So we're going to, we're, we're bailing on, on the Russia at 8% of our imports, right? About 8%. And, uh, or 8% of our usage, excuse me. And now we're going to supplement that with war criminals in Saudi Arabia and someone that we villainized for de- for a decade in Venezuela. Again, we're living in a simulation, guys. We are living in a simulation. Absolutely wild. Like, what are we moving towards here? I mean, we, we I think we're moving, and I've seen this a lot on the kind of leftist, like real leftist media, is that we're moving away from a, unipo- a unipolar world, right? We've seen it all over the place. And um, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Maybe America's influence has, has run its course as being the global superpower that decides what everybody else gets it to do. Um, it was only a matter of time before people got fed up with that. But I think crawling into bed with especially Saudi Arabia. I don't mind Venezuela so much. I'm not one of those. But go crawling to the fucking Saudis and begging for their help is one of the most pathetic things I've ever seen from any American period, much less the American president. So that's where we're at with that. Weird, weird, weird shit. But with all that being said, I'm going to try and give you something to think about. Let's go. response a little bit in a way, which I don't do this often, but this is a little bit of a response uh, for some comments I've received from a variety of places. So in response to this criticism, (laughs) what I like to say is this one simple statement, and I think it's worth thinking about. Explaining and understanding is not condoning. Okay? Explaining and understanding and sharing those explanations and understanding, right, is not condoning. I live in a world of nuance. I live in a world of questioning and curiosity. And sometimes I can say, communists have a point. Socialists have a point. Libertarians have a point. Anarchists have a point. Shit, sometimes neoliberals and neoconservatives have a point. Right? And we live in this world where it needs to be reduced down to some kind of simple bullshit that you can inject into your face 
for people to understand it. And that frustrates me. That to me is, is an erosion of humanity. When things, the nuance and the beauty and the complexity of things isn't, isn't accepted. We thrive in that. That's part of our human nature is to thrive in complexity and curiosity. So when I say something like what Putin is doing right now isn't irrational, is it illegal? Probably. Is it a war crimes? Are there war crimes involved? Probably. Do I want? Do I think that a, a hospital full of children should get blown up? Absolutely not. But I can explain why it's happening. I can explain why it's happening. That doesn't mean I'm condoning what is happening. Those are two completely separate things. Explaining and understanding are not condoning. All right? I can understand why we went to Iraq and Afghanistan. I understand they were lies, but I understand the deeper reasons why that happened. That does not mean that I condone it. Right? You could understand why, on a smaller scale, why a person becomes a violent criminal. That doesn't mean I condone it. Right? Understanding why a thing happens is not the same as cheering for it to happen. And I think so often, when you do things like criticize the United States, criticize capitalism, criticize socialism, criticize a, a social movement, criticize anything, or seek to understand you're deemed a villain. You're, you're, you're taken down, right? You're put in a camp. You're called right wing or some crazy shit. And it makes no sense. It's where we've gotten to. It's small brain shit. We don't need to live in a small brain world. Instead of jumping to whatever conclusion is pre-approved by the people that you appreciate and you like and you listen to, right? Whether they're selling you reverse mortgages or my pillow or whatever it is, jumping to whatever assumptions make you feel comfortable and virtuous don't make you right. And understanding the reasons why bad things happen doesn't make you a cheerleader for bad shit to happen. I think it's something we can all do a little better and think about that explaining and understanding and being curious about things and, and, and trying to remain objective does not make a person a villain. Understanding and explaining are not condoning. Think about it. I fucking love you guys. You are my favorite in the world, especially the ones of you in the Patreon. Join the Patreon. Let's get it to 100 members, man. We're getting close. I think we're at 70 now. We're doing it, baby. We're doing it. We're bringing it home. I've got to go buy a new computer, guys. My computer is fucking done. You can't handle this load. And I need that Patreon money. <laughs> <laughs> it really would help out quite a bit because this computer is like not able to fucking deal with it. I gotta get that new that new MacBook with the M1 chip. But anyways, I hope today's show, which I'm not super proud of to be honest with you, I tried my best, but goddamn, this is tough. 
Hope it was good for you. I hope you got something out of it. And I hope you stick around, subscribe, leave a review. Keep your head on straight. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.